0: Means these technologies are now here, and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
1: Hello, welcome everyone to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas. I'm here with Lewis Cohen of Hogan Levels, and it is a leading international law firm. Uh, he is the co head of the Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Group. Hello, Lewis. Uh, hello, Josh. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. It's great to have you on here. Um, you know, I was just joking about this a second ago, but uh, we, we get a lot of techie guys that talk about, you know, they really, really dig deep into their technology and, and you're coming at this from a completely different perspective uh, in the form of, you know, legal and compliance. And so it's a, it's a breath of fresh air to talk about legal and compliance for once. <laughs>
2: Well, absolutely. Although I will say this as a lawyer in the space, I think you, sadly, there's no getting around the techie parts because if you don't really understand them, it's very hard to advise the client. So, you know, one of the things I really make a point of is to try and make sure I understand the the techie stuff. So when people throw it at me, I actually know what they're talking about.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. You know, otherwise you have to fake it till you make it. And then, you know, uh, who knows what they actually said. So, uh, you, you know, um, uh, we were uh, looking in the news here, and I know there's a lot of things that you want to unpack. But let's let's just start with the just kind of what's currently in the news, and then we'll we'll dig into a little bit about what your law firm does. Chairman Clayton from the SEC um, made a statement recently, and uh, you know you were one of the favor- first to kind of break this to uh, your social media channels. Tell us a little bit about um, what the what the chairman said. Um, and what your thoughts about it are?
2: Sure. So, uh, as is typical in uh, these sorts of uh, meetings, uh, the Senate Banking Committee uh, requested uh, written testimony in advance of the uh, the actual meeting itself. And so, uh, Chairman uh, Clayton, and also uh, the chairman of the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, um, uh, Giancarlo, uh, both submitted written testimony. that they. That was last night, and then they spoke today. So we have a fair amount of new material uh, to look at when we think about regulation around token sales, crypto, and and these related topics. So there's a lot of uh, good material to dig into. Um, Chairman Clayton's um, remarks, which I'll focus on, um, were actually – his written remarks are actually pretty positive, all things considered. His message was one, I would say, broadly of inclusion, which is we want to see innovation in our markets, particularly in our financial markets, The SEC, as a regulatory body, is very aware of the positive impact that distributed ledger technology can can bring to many sectors, and uh, so uh, very uh, positive about that. Unfortunately, when he uh, testified um, before Congress earlier today, his tone was
1: a little bit less positive interesting and so you know I I don't want to I don't want to dissect this too much uh, but the the written words were fairly positive yes we want this innovation the spoken words when people are actually looking and paying attention are are a lot more kind of status quo for what you would see in a like a mainstream media setting why do you think that is that's that's right
2: that's that's a good uh, that's a good summary uh, there Regulators around the world and including here in the U.S. are struggling with exactly what tone to set uh, regarding uh, the developments that are moving very, very quickly right now, both in sort of the, the broad crypto world and specifically in fundraising through the sale of tokens. The regulators are very sensitive to the idea that, that these developments can be very positive for growth in the economy, for job creation and for innovation. And so there continues to be concern that simply... Uh, uh, trying to be negative about the whole thing will not uh, be a long-term good play for for the economy, for the country. At the same time, there are, one has to acknowledge, there's quite a lot of fraud and bad actors in uh, this space, particularly around token sales, and we've seen a number of high-profile um enforcement actions, including most recently against a rise bank, which wasn't even a bank, and a number of others so the so the reason I think we see this economy of communication is because regulators like the s e c are trying to to tread carefully. On the one hand, they want to warn bad actors that they are serious about regulatory enforcement. On the other hand, they don't want to scare off the many, many people innovating uh, in this space.
1: So you're in a unique position to to speak on this uh, as an expert uh, because of your chosen career. And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about what your law firm does and specifically what your department does.
2: Sure, thanks. So this is a
1: a complex
2: and emerging area. People are using blockchain technology now to raise funds, to develop new types of platforms um, that are, generally speaking, centralized. Not always, but often. And have a very different approach to business than standard uh, early stage uh, funding that that really existed before the blockchain. At, At my firm and what I do is really try to understand what is uh, unique about these these new types of platforms that are being developed and new sorts of fundraisings and apply 20-plus years of experience in securities laws to those innovative uh, techniques. Uh, there's quite a lot of law in the United States to look to in our quote-unquote common law system, which basically means we don't just stop at our statutes that Congress passes, but we also look at uh, judicial interpretations of all types to, Kind of find the law, if you will, and um, that gives us a lot of material to um, to work with. And so, I believe it's those lawyers who have spent you know quite a lot of time and experience uh, in doing and advising companies in areas of like securities laws and related uh, fields that will be able to give the the best and most nuanced advice. But of course, at the same time, you do need to understand how. The blockchain community works how the crypto community works and what these technologies are as we were saying at the top of the podcast so what we try and do is apply this law and to a very confusing and new type of financing structure
1: Uh, a a large task to be sure uh, and quite an undertaking Um, so what would you say uh, if if you were to give a, a best of the best and a worst of the worst that you've seen in your career um you know, tell us about that and, and don't just give us the lawyery answer if it depends.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no worries there. So I mean it's, it's uh kinda easy to start with the worst of the worst. We you know, we I am fortunate to um to be pretty well known in the space and so I get, you know, quite a lot of um uh initial inbound traffic of prospective clients and a lot of them are, you know, really fascinating innovators uh, with with great stories, but some of them are a little more out there and uh One that really made my heart sink, it was a cold call and uh, my phone rang and uh, a fellow said, well, I got some news for you. Well, what's that? I said, well, you're going to get work on the, we're going to work on the largest token sale ever in the history of the world uh, together. I'm thinking, well, you know, it's only been about nine months. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the the biggest thing, but go ahead. All right, what you got there? He said, well, we're going to issue a token and it'll be stable token." And many people have talked about this, this idea of a stable token, something that doesn't fluctuate as wildly as Bitcoin, Ether, or many other uh, tokens. I said, well, that's an interesting idea. How are you going to do that? So we're going to raise, I don't know, $500 billion, and then we'll just manage the token to make sure it stays stable. I said, well, you are going to? You invest all that money. What are you going to do with it? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. We'll figure out something, but I'll just manage that. Yeah. I said, basically, you're going to, yes, exactly. I said, basically, what you're, you're going to like see if you could get like 500 million bucks and just spend it all. Said, well, you know, spend it all is a bit aggressive. I mean, sure, we'll we'll hold on to some of it. That's the worst. That's pretty bad. Wow. That's pretty bad. Um, on the best that's, side, that's I'm scary.
1: And then, you know, here's what's scary. Here's what's even more scary about it, Lewis. Uh, if, if they had the right. Uh, if they had the right message, they could probably get that money.
2: They would. It, it is an overhyped market right now, and there are a lot of people who don't on you know the buy side on all sides who, who don't really understand this, and they're they're just throwing money at anything. You're right. you that's a it's a very astute point. So it is very scary. Uh, you know. On the other hand, we're working on some, some just amazing projects with with real. You know, skilled people, people in medicine, you know, all kinds of fields, technology, cryptography that have long histories of uh, of innovative work, and uh, you know, that's just a thrill to get to be involved with such you know smart people and uh, you know driving things forward. I, I can't really talk in great detail about projects that have not yet surfaced, but they involve areas like genetics, um, cybersecurity, um, as well as the music industry, which we're hopefully going to transform. You know, we're touching just about everything along the way, and it you know it gives me great pride to be involved with projects like those.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and and where where are you based out of, Louis? I work out of New York, New York City. New York. Okay, very good. And and that's that's definitely a a hotbed for crypto and blockchain activity, right?
2: It, it has been. It's really interesting. Obviously, people think Palo Alto and Silicon Valley as as the hub of of innovative finance uh in the US that of course it still plays a critical role but you know increasingly New York has become you know a bit more relevant and we have you know very important companies in this business uh companies like digital asset holding uh like consensus uh like symbian are all based here in, in the New York area and uh, our threes headquarters are here so in terms of blockchain a lot of the the key talent can be
1: found right here in in New state so uh, so let's let's take a look at, uh, from your perspective, I always ask this question, looking ahead to the future of the technology and in your particular instance, the future of finance, what do you see happening in the next one year and the next five years for, for the blockchain and specifically for the fundraising aspect of the ICOs and the token sales and all the regulations? From an attorney's perspective, what do you see?
2: Of course. So, I mean, one just quick observation. Interestingly, when you say, you know, and that's a that is a very standard time frame, kind of near term, one year, long term, five years. You know, blockchain time doesn't move like that. Blockchain time, is the equivalent would be in the next, you know, month or long term, the next nine months. You know, it's very, very well,
1: perspective.
2: It, so, but we, no, I understand your know. question. I just yeah. want to make, make that
1: observation. Yeah, well, we, that's a that's a yeah. good point. We all we we certainly know that things move fast and in December for instance we would not have predicted that uh regulations would be dropping so harshly so quickly and depressing the markets like they are uh yeah, and we're here yeah. in February as we're as we're uh, um recording this so i mean you know whatever time frame you want to put on to it the near term and the and the long term what what are your thoughts on what's going to happen Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in the in the near term, I think we will continue to see
2: um, token sales of the type um, uh, continue to, to to go on. I'm advising all of my clients that, you know, you would be just absolutely crazy not to discuss a prospective token sale with the staff of the SEC. The SEC has said that they are open. You know, when again, thoughtful lawyers bring you know appropriate. Uh, pro, you know products and transactions and structures but uh, you know I think in the near term we're going to see people continuing with the products but doing it you know with and in consultation with the, the regulator to make sure that everybody's on the same page um, I think there will be more use of a regulatory channel known as regulation a sometimes a plus which allows you to do offerings of up to 50 million US dollars for domestic companies um, with a relatively Lighter compliance touch relatively lighter uh, I think that will be an option for a lot of companies seeking to do token sales in the medium to long term I think one of the most exciting trends is what we're loosely calling securities tokens these are tokens that are actually not trying to do fulfill a utility function they're tokens that are similar to to equity or debt or all the different gradients in between um so they or they are back, specifically or need
1: some or it, yeah. would that be an example uh something that is backed by an asset like a coin that's backed it, yes, by it, a real estate or something
2: absolutely it may be backed by an asset like real estate, maybe a commodity like gold. Um, a whole range of things, or it may be just a different type. Uh, It it may be backed by financial assets. So a pool of mortgages, for example, may back a token, um, a mortgage-backed token, if you will. So, yes, it could be a whole range of things, or it could be a revenue share in a company is another option. You know, there are really a a lot of possibilities. So if if you've got a tech company that has started to, to go into revenue, you can create a security that uh, that allocates some portion of that revenue to the funder so you have non-dilutive equity like funding which is you know very attractive to a lot of folks
1: so I have um, no, a question here that that I think that uh, a, a lot of people may have and if they don't then at least I have it uh what what you're describing is a a securities market off of the traditional exchanges. It's it's a token, or it's a it's a security coin, if you will. And this is different from a share of stock. Now, my, my question to you is, why should somebody go through, I mean, you have to go through a similar amount of registration processes and everything. Why issue a coin instead of a, so- a stock?
2: Uh, well, yeah, you know... For, for those of you out there, we didn't set up any of these questions, but it's it's a perfect question. They're so well done. Um, and the answer is shouldn't unless you, by using blockchain and tokenization, can bring something new, different, and interesting to the discussion. If all you're doing is replicating something that could be done in the traditional means, then adding a token really doesn't and probably shouldn't change a lot. But there are some interesting things. I'll give you a couple of examples. In the world of asset pack securities. Um, you take, uh, for example, a pool of home mortgages, let's say you know uh, about a billion dollars worth of home mortgages, and you put them into a, a, a legal entity, some sort of vehicle a trust, whatever it may be. And when the underlying borrowers or, or, or mortgagors uh, are, are making their payments, those payments kind of filter through a quote-unquote waterfall, which is just a set of rules that allocate who gets which first and who gets which second, third, fourth, and fifth. And that's all right now done manually pursuant to written words in agreement, but um, in an agreement. Uh, but, but all of that can be automated and using smart contract code, which could actually determine how much money had come in and allocate everything in accordance with a pre-agreed set of rules without any particular individual having to uh, get involved. That could add certainty and avoid and reduce fraud and, and have a lot of other uh, advantages. So so that's one thing that you could do with the blockchain and tokenization that you would be hard-pressed to do um, with a, a standard uh, securitization transaction another example is in the area of real estate securities many REIT or real estate investment trusts own uh, groups of properties like shopping malls well imagine if you could put some IOT devices into your shopping malls and create a heat map of footfalls throughout the mall in real time which token holders um, because they're of course have real-time settlement could see so when you stake your token you get to have visibility into how your the shopping malls that you have an interest in are doing and where where the traffic is what's going on and that may help you get better insight into you know what levels of rent they're going to be and how much ultimately your stock is worth so that would be an example of adding a new functionality to a dr- traditional security that could really change the game in terms of how an
1: investor would would look at their investment let me let me ask a, a macro question here Going back to your uh, mortgage example, um, and there's this waterfall, and the smart contract decides, you know, who gets the payments. I kind of understand that, and and I I would think that the the rest of the people listening to this will probably kind of understand that, and we don't need to understand it any more than that. But but uh, one thing that I know that we all understand is the housing crash of 2008. Uh, Michael Lewis wrote a book called The Big Short turned into a movie, which is really good and everybody should watch it. It's like it should be required, uh, you know, as U.S. history class or something. But uh, what they were doing is they were, you know, they were chopping up all of these uh, sold mortgages over and over and over again. And that was kind of creating a mess and nobody was really paying attention to the mess. And there wasn't any real good tracking. Just on a macro level, could smart contracts in that application that you just mentioned. Could they prevent that problem from happening again? Potentially, yes. I
2: mean, smart contracts are an incredibly flexible tool that allow you to do almost anything that you could program with a computer you could do with smart contracts. In particular, one of the things that really was a key driver of the housing crisis was people leveraging their unrealized gains in their homes. So so people might have, purchased a home for $350,000, and, you know, some years later, an appraiser comes along and tells them it's worth $600,000, and they say, gosh, I, I deserve a vacation, I deserve a new car, I deserve this and that and the other thing. And they spend all the money, but they, they never really had it because they had unrealized gains. They never sold their house for that 600000 Someone just told them it's worth it, and they borrowed that money. When, of course, housing prices came down, they had no way of repaying those loans, and that led to the cascading debt crisis that ultimately you know, took down Lehman Brothers and you know a number of other uh, companies. Smart contracts, in theory, could be used to limit the ability to um, borrow against unrealized gains, or otherwise provide regulatory speed bumps to some of the bad practices that occurred uh, back in 2005, 6, and 7 when the market was boiling over. So it's really just a function of how you use them. But it's a very flexible tool, and there are. You know, a lot of things like, you know, the examples I just gave that that could be done or could have um, prevented, you know, potentially the crisis if if one had known. The problem wasn't really the technology. The problem is no one saw it coming. I think there were even, to be very frank, even if you didn't use such cool technology, you you know, if you didn't do people just didn't do anything. And so they didn't really try. So it's, uh, but if you knew, smart contracts could have helped. Yeah.
1: Interesting stuff. Lewis Cohen from Hogan Hogan Levels. There we go. Thanks very much for joining us. Any any final thoughts before we wrap here?
2: Well it's very kind of you to have me. And I, I think really my, my message, especially to folks who are on the legal side out there um and are only scratching the surface of stuff, dive on in. Um reach out to me on LinkedIn and um there's room for, for everyone. There's so much going on and this isn't a space where we compete. We should work together. So, you know, if you're a lawyer and you're listening and you you're not, you know, some of the stuff intrigues you but you're not quite there yet. Reach out, and I'm happy to, to point you in the right direction and get things going. And thank you for, again for your time.
1: What's the best way for them to reach out, just to, to find you on LinkedIn, or do you have a website? Or uh, what, Sure.
2: What uh, the LinkedIn is, is, is easy. My uh, There's also an email, which is my uh, name, L-E-W-I-S dot T-O-H-E-N, at Hogan Lovells. That's H-O-G-A-N-L-O-V-E-L-L-S dot com. I'm also on Twitter at uh, NY Crypto Lawyer. So at NY Crypto Lawyer is uh, my uh, tag on LinkedIn. Oh, excuse
1: me. There you have. It. Excuse me. There you go. There you go. Twitter handle, tag, whatever it is. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So, Lewis, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Thank and you sharing gosh. your insights. We will look forward to uh, the next episode here on the Future
0: Tech Podcast. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018.